I'm Gianna. I'm Brooke. We are third graders in El Rawson Elementary School. We this is the SMA project. Almost had it there, Gianna. That's okay. I'm not sure third graders need to know what a podcast is. What she meant was, this is the SMY podcast. In fact, it's the first ever podcast from the School District of South Milwaukee. This podcast has been created to celebrate our students and teachers and to celebrate our public schools. It's also going to be our vehicle for answering and exploring questions from parents and the community about the school district. I'm Dan Bader. I'm the communication coordinator here at South Milwaukee. Today, we're going to hear from Christy Gajewski, Director of Curriculum and Instruction. The reason Christy is our first ever guest is because, one by one, our schools are presenting their school improvement plans to the school board, and we've noticed there have been some questions about them. Um, we're going to dive into what those plans are and what they're for. We're also going to talk about how education has changed and how teachers are working together to improve their craft. Here's Christy. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Glad to be here. Before I ask mm-hmm. your big why, tell, tell me what your job is here in South Milwaukee. So, you know, I try to figure out, do, most people don't even know that this kind of role exists in a school district. They're like, it, it just is, people don't know what it is. Um, but really my role is to support educators to make sure they have the best resources, that they have um, they have the best professional learning um, in order to grow and develop as educators. Um, I see my role as support um, to make sure they have what they need and to make sure kids have what they need. Um, So I do a lot of things like um, we review our curriculum instruction um, on a rotating basis um, to make sure that we have the best and the most recent work um, that's out there for our kids. Um, I also, you know, work with a lot of teacher teams. I help develop teachers um, in terms of their own professional growth, but also to support them as leaders in the district. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of other little nuancey things that I do as well, but um, that's basically in a nutshell. I'm there to help support the teaching and learning. Hmm. Um, so at the beginning of the school year, Dr. Weiss, uh, our superintendent, encouraged everyone to re-examine their why, mm-hmm. um, why they got into education. After the last two years of, of struggling with the pandemic and worrying mm-hmm. about health, we finally got to focus a little bit more back on education. What, what was your big why? You know, I, that, was a, that was a good thing to have us do um, because it's easy to get lost in the day-to-day. And, you know, the reason I'm the first-generation college grad in my family um, my siblings aren't not successful, but college wasn't what they decided to do. Um, and for me, the reason that I even chose to go to college was because teachers told me that that was an option. Um, and I was kind of a mess in middle school, as a lot of kids are. Um, and I had two amazing teachers, my seventh grade English teacher and seventh grade math teacher, who saw who I was um, and they really kind of wrapped their arms around me and nurtured me. Um, My teacher, she, on her path to school every morning, would often pass my bus stop. And if I was standing out there, she would take me to school um, and I would work in her classroom. And so that was really my first experience with like, there are other things I can do. Um, And I felt, you know, 
especially to, that was a very pivotal moment in my life to have these two women wrap their arms around me and see, th- you know, push me in a, a positive direction that I felt like that was part of the thing that that was what drove me to become a teacher was I want to do the same thing for middle school kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately beyond that is I'm a mom of four children and public education is something that I feel uh, very passionate about and want good education for my own kids. So every day that I come to work, I think about them and what I would want for them. And that's how I try to support everyone is that I think about them and, you know, our families send us the best kids they have. They're not leaving the best ones at home. They're sending us the best kids they have. And so if we can see that, when we can find things in our, in our students to find ways for them to be successful when they leave us, then that's my why. All right, thanks for that. Um, speaking of that, I'm, I'm sure um, at least we've, we've seen comments about um, at the board meetings about our school improvement plans. Sure. Um, I'm, I know that's a big focus for mm-hmm. you. Um, can you tell me what, first of all, what a school improvement plan is? Sure. I've been trying to think about, you know, when we started talking about how we would want to communicate this in a way that everyone could understand, I really started thinking about you know, we're, we're almost to um, January 1st, which means new year, new me, right? Like, so all of the ads for health and fitness, they all start coming out, right? So if you're like me and you've ever tried to do that and then it got to be mid-February and you kind of just lost interest, I mean, you can see it in the gyms, um, and it just turns back into the regulars. Well, I, I think about, well, why do the regulars stay? Because they're not all fitness junkies. Um, but I think if you think about a school improvement plan like a fitness plan, Um, so let's say you go to your uh, yearly exam with your doctor and you have a bunch of tests run and those tests may show you're completely healthy or they may indicate that there might be some issues going on that you need to pay attention to. Um, so for example, let's say I go and have my blood work done and they say, well, your cholesterol is a little high and maybe you could lose uh, 10 pounds or so. Um, if I just go to the gym and with those two things in mind, with no specific plan, I end up not like building any new habits to change my health, right? That's what school improvement plans are really there for is to help us target on small incremental things that we can improve upon that will improve the overall health of our school system. Um, And so it would be different if um, I did that fitness plan instead and I went uh, went to the gym with some goals in mind. not that I just want to lose 10 pounds, but I also have my cholesterol to think about. So it's going to be food and, you know, and making sure that I'm eating more vegetables, less red meat, and slowly working in exercise. Maybe I just walk on the treadmill for a half an hour until I build enough stamina to where I can jog. And then after a few months, change happens, right? Your body changes, you feel better. That's kind of what a school improvement plan really is, is there's schools are very complex, Um, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of things that we can point to say, well, that needs to be better. And that also needs to be better, that it can be really overwhelming. Um, And so our school improvement plans really are just designed for us to take a look at all of the things going on in our schools and then really drilling down collaboratively and saying, what are the things that we have control over that we can really make an impact on that will help build out the other things? So I know walking a half an hour every day is going to help me lose weight over time. But 
I'm not going to just, if I've never gotten on a treadmill before, I'm not going to start running seven miles an hour and think that that's going to change something as soon as I get off the treadmill. So that's kind of what our school improvement plans are for. We've asked um, each school to collaboratively come together and look at that information, their data, and how students are performing in not just academics, but how they're performing or how they're being, how they're feeling in school. So using our student voice um, and trying to make an impact so kids feel safe, loved, and accepted by their peers and by their teachers, um, but also so that we can create, so that we can create the conditions for those academics to improve. Mm. Um, and what have they told you? I mean, because we see them mm -hmm. one at a time, but you look at yeah. them all collaboratively, uh, all as one. Yeah, I mean, they show, to be perfectly honest and transparent, they do show that we have some areas that we can significantly improve, which is some of our reading foundational skills and some of our early math literacy as well. Um, but what they do tell us, you know, is, you know, I could say that and tell people to write goals around those things, but that's not going to make an impact if other people haven't had the opportunity to take a look at what's going on and saying, I can really have an impact. Um, I can't tell people to do that. They have to be able to collaboratively come together and choose the goal that they're going to work on together. So what I'm seeing in the plans is some very specific goals that um, are certainly achievable. There are definitely themes um, where some of the schools, uh, all of our elementary schools, for example, have very similar goals because the data says the same thing. We have some, we have some areas that we can improve in math and reading. Um, and so not only are the individual schools working on those goals, we continually bring all of the teachers together and all of the principals together to make sure that we're speaking the same language so that, you know, even there, there's, a, there's a science and an art to teaching. And the science is, the teachers will know this, I always say there's, there's freedom within the fences. The fence line is what we come together to determine. What are the non-negotiables? What are the things that we expect everyone to understand? And then there's the freedom within that. And that's the magic of teaching, like how the teacher gets the students to that end goal. So what's really cool about it is that even though like the data has, you know, using it, it, it can be uncomfortable to look at it first, um, but people are using it the way that it should be used. Identify what's going on and then crafting some goals to work on together so that we can see improvement over time. Hmm. Um, so, you know, as a parent, uh, I always wonder what, when I look at those data, mm -hmm. uh, what's that saying about my school, and yeah. what does it say about the services my my child are getting? You know, um, what what should I take away from that, and and is there something I can do at home sure. to try to help those things? Um, I know that you know if you don't have a whole lot of context for it, it can seem kind of like, well, what are the teachers actually doing? What are those principals actually doing? Like this doesn't look that great, but I do want to remind the community too that you know a lot of the assessments like you know, our state report cards are coming out um, and each school gets a score. Um, and there's a lot of information that goes into crafting that score and some of it's pretty complex. Um, what I want people to understand, especially about things like the forward exam that we utilize um, to kind of take a look at how things are happening in the system is a snapshot in time. It is one test. Um, and it may or may not be the student's best day of testing. Um, but we understand that as educators, um, that that's not the be all end all. And that test does not define your child. Um, but it helps us understand where we need to go as a system. Um, and, you know, I think 
what also is that, you know, when you're looking at like the report cards or you're looking at the school improvement plans, you're, you're looking at small pieces of data that we've really dug into to try to find a root cause. So when you see those things, and they do seem alarming, they, they can be kind of alarming the first time you see them. Really, it's more important to say that this is, it's like that annual physical that you get. This is, these are the blood tests. These are the blood tests that are telling us something might be wrong. And then we do more kind of digging and maybe, you know, looking at some other information from the class to really see what's going on. So even though it looks a little bleak, it's really not. There's a lot of amazing things going on in our schools and we're trying, but it is important to also remember there's a lot of things going on in our schools. So to try to get everything aligned and moving in the the same direction sometimes feels like it's hurting cats and it'll take us a little while to straighten that out. Um, But now that we're looking at it, now that we have an idea of what's going on, we should see improvement over time. What parents can do at home, you know, I think, you know, asking questions, talking to your kids' teachers about what is going on in the classroom, um, you know, and, you know, I think it's really important to understand that classrooms aren't the same way that when we were kids. Um, They really aren't. Uh, You know, our kids have grown up on technology, whereas most of us were like at the cusp of when technology was coming into, you know, into into the schools and kids are growing up with that. Um, And that makes it very different because we're competing for information and attention all the time. Um, And so what our teachers are doing um, you know, sometimes I'll even hear, well, your math curriculum is different. You don't, we've learned, you know, teaching and learning is also, like I said, was a science and an art. Um, and understanding that our teachers are trained in the science and they're trying to apply the science to little people that have a variety of variables. So we just ask for patience, but we also ask that you ask questions like, what are you learning? How do I do this? How can I support my kid? Um, you know, those are the kinds of things and, and presume positive intent that everyone is doing the best that they can, that they know how in this moment and that we're continuing to try to improve. <clears throat> I have to say, you know, I have a, I have a fifth grader, uh, and he doesn't go to South Milwaukee, but, um, his math curriculum, looking at it over mm-hmm. the years, his understanding of numbers and how yeah. they work together is far beyond what I knew mm-hmm. at that time. And I, and I, you know, I didn't even get it until maybe after college, yeah. the way some of these things work. And so that's heartening to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's mathematical anyway, yeah. but the fact that he just has this closeness with numbers, mm-hmm. when I had to memorize times tables, which I think is important, yeah. but, um, you know, just I, I didn't get, you know, some of the, the uh, holistic view that, yeah. that he has, and that seems to be... At least for us, it's frustrating when I'm trying to help with homework yeah. because I can't do it the way he does. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's me showing him a third way yep. to maybe figure something out. And and we both he tends to be right, and right. I tend to be wrong. Um, but when we work at it together, we still get an understanding of what his knowledge is. So, right. Yeah, and um, that's the biggest change I think with math that might be different from the way that we learned it is that we're teaching kids strategies on how to solve the problems and see numbers, see that the the written number has a meaning behind it. It's in the same way that we try to teach letters have sounds. Um, and so that's why it's different. I mean, we were taught a standard way um, using formulas and memorization. And not there's a place for that. 
There is absolutely a place for that. That is a strategy. But we're also trying to teach the kids to understand what those numbers actually mean. So mm. you're right, yes. So I know that that can be kind of frustrating, but um, one of the things is, you know, I too, like, I have four kids. They're teenagers, ages 19 to 13. It's a lot of hormones in my house. Um, but one of the things that happened is that my oldest son um, is very good at math. And at a certain point, I couldn't help him anymore. So I had to get someone else to help him, right? Like, Because I'm like, I, I never took calculus. I don't even know what you're doing, right? So he, he, you know, but one of the things, too, is that, you know, we do as a district, one of my jobs is to... And I should have said at the beginning of this, yeah. we are in the high school, so you're going to hear sounds coming. We're in the music wing. Um, yeah. They've graciously allowed us one of their practice rooms. So you're going to hear sounds from the school, and uh, that's learning happening. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> I, you know, one of my jobs also is to, like, like, like I said earlier, was to help make sure that kids have what they need um, to be successful. And we know that you know, parents, you're working, you can't always know exactly what's going on in the classroom. So we do have resources outside of that that can support your kiddo. So like at the elementary and middle school level, for example, we have two dynamic pieces of software. And it's dynamic because kids do a little bit of an assessment and that assessment kind of places them um, in a skill set. And then they work through those skill sets um, in their reading and math in order to become um, you know, stronger in some of the skills that they might be missing. So we utilize, and those are, you can access those at home. It's, um, there's, your student will have a clever dashboard and those are apps that they can access at home. It's called Lexia is the reading one. ST Math is the math one. Um, and then we also have Tutor Me, which is something that the school board really was um, behind when we were kind of coming out of the pandemic, knowing that students were missing school because of being sick and all, all of the things that we were dealing with. So it's a free resource to families. Um, and they can connect with an online tutor 24-7, anytime, homework help, and it's a live tutor. Um, they can do a video. Um, they don't have to have the video on if that makes people uncomfortable, but this resource was something that was well vetted by the district because we wanted to make sure um, family information was kept safe and secure. Um, but they can log in and access a tutor um, from home, from school, um, and get help with their homework and get help with assignments and turn in writing um, assignments and get feedback on them. And that's something the district pays for for all students to have access to. So I think, you know, sometimes when things get confusing at home or you want to be able to help your kid, it's okay to say, I'm not sure how to do this. We can either try to work it out together because there's a lot of amazing things out on you know, you can just Google math problems, and I've, mm. I've done that mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, as well. Sure. But you can also have that tutoring service and sit with your student um, and work through that with them with a tutor that is – and these tutors are amazingly trained, like math degrees, like because the tutoring service actually goes all the way through, like, post-collegiate level. So it's something that the tutors are very well trained and can definitely help our kids if we as parents can't necessarily – figure out exactly how to help them hmm. oh wow that's really cool i wish i had an ac access to something like that i don't yeah <laughs> so we do google uh, yeah. quite a bit um so um you had said something that's mm -hmm. uh, we talked about how education's changed yeah. uh, how we've seen what our kids are learning changing the way we're teaching it is changing too right and yeah. we, we talked about this um shameless plug for the bridges magazine because <laughs> there's a great uh i got to sit in one of these classrooms yeah. um 
it's frustrating as a parent when there's an early release day. But but when I saw um, the work that was going on in the classroom, they were working on that Lexi program mm-hmm. and learning from an instructional coach how to interpret the data and what to look for and 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 then sharing ideas. Uh, the teachers were saying when they accomplish a certain thing, I make a big deal out of it because uh, it gives the other students something. And that was a third grade teacher and a fourth grade teacher is like, oh wow, since you're doing that with your third graders, they'll be excited for it from when they're fourth graders. There's, <laughs> there's our bell again. Um, yeah, they were genuinely excited about it and she knew that now mm-hmm. that, that those that guy's third graders are going to be her fourth graders and that the kids weren't interested mm-hmm. in last year will be interested in it this year. So those are called professional learning communities. Yes. Can you give us a 10,000 foot view of that? Yeah, I, I, I think the best way to explain it is like you would assume your teachers are talking, right? Like you'd assume that they would be planning together and it seems like it's to be a no brainer, but the reality is is that the kind of collaboration and the kind of planning that we're asking teachers to do is a little different. Um, it's not just sharing ideas, but it's really looking at what kids can do and maybe where they're struggling and then working together to develop that plan, much in the same way we develop our school improvement plans. It's the same process we do in, in the professional learning communities. So one thing I, you know about that, I until I came to work here, I guess I didn't... Re- Lots of bells. Yeah, lots of bells. <laughs> I guess I didn't realize that um, that that how little time um, an elementary mm-hmm. teacher has, uh, and then uh, at the secondary level, that the free time that they do have means that the kids they had were with someone else. So there's no chance to say, "Hey, yeah. John's struggling at X, Y, or Z yeah. because he's in a class and that teacher's talking." Yep. Um, so that's part of this. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. It's trying to find, ske- ske- trying to look at our days and our and our maximize our time, so that we can have time together, um, without having students around, so that we can actually concentrate on improving things. Um, it's hard because you're right. Like, at the elementary level, the schedules are when the grade level teachers, like if I'm a fourth grade teacher and my teaching partner teaches fourth grade, our students go to their specials classes. And then we can work together. But it's usually just the two of us because the teachers are taking our kids, right? So we can't work with the specialist teachers at that time. And we have special education teachers who work with us. But a lot of our special education teachers have students not just in my fourth grade class, but also fifth grade. So, But our fifth grade is in class when we have our, when we have our collaboration time together. Um, and at middle school and high school, it gets even trickier because – is an English teacher and I have if I'm a freshman English teacher and I have algebra students those students if I have a break if I have my prep period those students are in algebra and I can't meet with that algebra teacher to talk about the students in my class that are struggling and the students in her class that are struggling so that's why we've tried to craft additional time on our professional learning days once a month or six times during the year and then early release days where we get a couple extra hours like today is an early release day so the teachers will be planning and learning together about your kids to try to improve the instruction over time and they get an extended period where everybody who interacts with those students can actually get together and talk without having to go monitor lunch or recess or teach (laughs) so that's that's why professional learning communities are important because we're really trying to craft that time for teachers to work together Mm. intentionally and it kind of goes to that 
professionalism, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, some careers I've had, um, maybe once a year I get to go to a conference yeah. or something where I get to feel like interact with people who do what I do and then try to come away mm-hmm. with some new practices or best practices. But um, we have a community of educators here already, yep. but they don't get time to talk to each other. Right. So, you know, I could see just from a staff retention point or just an, an ability to talk to my boss or to mm-hmm. see my boss when we're not wrangling kids down the hall mm-hmm. to actually talk about what um, what matters to me as a profession mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and what I'm maybe a problem I'm having or tap into the resources that are already right here. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's really the whole goal of all of that. Mm-hmm. And so that um, that's an this is kind of a new concept. It is it is for South Milwaukee. Um, I think they've made attempts to do similar things um, in the past, but again, it it takes the whole system to kind of shift and change in order for this to happen. It's like, like I said with the the exercise analogy. You know, if you just go to the gym and you start running on the treadmill, you're not going to lose the ten pounds the first time you get off the treadmill. Like it's a habit that we have to build. Um, and some school districts have been able to make that habit happen earlier. Um, professional learning communities have been around for a while, um, but South Milwaukee is now in a place where we we have the ability to do that now, and we have the, the right people, the right staff, the right administration in order for us to come to collectively come together to change our habits mm-hmm. um, in, mm-hmm. a, in the positive direction. Not to say that what was happening before was wrong, it was just different, and so we've collectively, as a district, said this is something that matters to us. So we've we've been able to make that change. Mm. And, and so you've been here uh, for a few years, right? Yeah, this is my third year. Right, but those first two years you couldn't necessarily do this, right? No, the first well, the first year I mean I was hired virtually during COVID, mm. so I didn't even get an opportunity to talk to ch- teachers face to face for a long time. And um, the interesting thing is I'm still trying to learn everyone because then even in the second year, there's a lot of times we were masked. So I didn't know what any would look like. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So, you know, um, so I really, we weren't able to, and that we were able to start some things, um, at least learning about it, trying to get some collaboration to happen. Some of it did happen virtually, but there's a difference when you do it virtually than when you're actually sitting with the papers and teachers in front, you know, together face to face. So we really actually launched professional learning communities last year, um, just initially getting started. Um, and then this year, um, we've, we, this is year two, and we've seen some significant um, improvements and change um, with how people are interacting and communicating and collaborating. Hmm. That was going to be my next question. How, how do you know it works? How do you know a school improvement plan works? How do you know professional learning communities work? Yeah, um, it's a good question. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, obviously we want to look at student achievement and student success. So seeing that growth, even if it's just a little bit of growth, because, you know, changing habits, like I said, takes time. So that's another important thing to remember is that in school improvement plans, when we're being strategic and targeted, we're not going to see all of a sudden everybody is 100% proficient. Like that just doesn't happen because everybody grows and develops in different ways and at different rates. But we should see growth. We should see improvement in those areas that we're specifically targeting. That's how we know it works. But outside of looking at assessments, the culture shifts, the trust amongst educators shifts. People are more willing to have crucial conversations. 
and say, this bothers me. Um, I want this to improve. How can we do this together? So to, that's what I'm seeing, especially at the elementary level. I'm seeing those shifts happen, which conversations, and, and probably a lot of it is due to the fact because the, the we were in COVID and teachers couldn't get together, so they weren't able to have those same kind of conversations. But the level of engagement, the level of conversation, the level of collaboration has definitely increased. Um, I was so impressed with the conversations um, on our last professional learning day that I felt like a proud mama bear. Like the, it was just, and that was uh, one of our first days with our inter interim superintendent, Dr. Shaw. And he pulled me aside and he said, how did you guys do this? And I said, I didn't do it. They did. Mm -hmm. um, so I said, we've just been able to create the conditions for it to happen now. Sure. The, the kind of um, shockwave that was the pandemic in, in a way. Um, so we saw, you know, a wave of teachers kind of go and a wave come in. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's happening everywhere to kind of yes. get away from maybe the trauma that you had at your last school or it didn't, you didn't like it, but now you're in a new place. Yep. But there's a silver lining to that yeah. when it comes to this because you've got a bunch of fresh faces with a new job and a new idea. Yep. You're seeing that, I imagine. I think so too. And you know, I know that it, it is scary to, to hear that we've lost a lot of educators. Um, but I think what's important is that you have to kind of zoom out because it's not just us. It is not just us. Certainly there are people who were unhappy um, in any place. Um, and they we want people to feel like they're still having an impact. So if they feel like they're going to find happiness somewhere else, they should go and try to find that happiness because their mental health is just as important as the children's. Um, but the influx of educators that we've gotten um, as a result of some of those shifts has been pretty amazing. The energy is different. They are coming from places where they felt, you know, South Milwaukee has been unique in a lot of the things that we've been doing. We've been actually able to continue some of the work um, around supporting all kids and other school districts have had to shut some of that down. Um, and so we've specifically had educators come here because of this community and the community support and the support that they feel like they can actually give all kids um, where they felt like maybe they weren't able to do that in other places. So that comes with a, and an actually one of the, we're in the music room, like you said, and one of those new teachers is our phenomenal new music choir director. Um, she's amazing. Like, and the person she replaced was also amazing. He had life life changes he was getting married so that was the reason he left us but she just has this uh, energy and she's like involved in things and you know bringing that new you know bringing that energy to everyone else is just has been a very positive impact yeah i've um so i, I had a chance to meet amy too and she's just i feel like she's been here for yeah 10 years yep you know she knows every kid yep uh is integrated in the community and I think that's just kind of who teachers are. Yep. I think they just kind of do that. So. Absolutely. Well, thank you um, for this time. I'm sure there's sure. tons more questions we Absolutely. could talk about, but um, I appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. I hope it gave you a deeper understanding of the work that's happening in our schools. If you have any questions you think should be answered on an upcoming podcast, email us at info at sdsm.com k12.wi.us. A big thank you to our guest, Christy Gajewski, Director of Curriculum and Instruction, and to Amy Swanson and her students for letting us use their practice room. 
There's a lot of creativity that comes in and out of this little space. Our parents should know how free their children are to come here and make music. Also, to Mr. Gaynor's third graders, Gianna and Brooke, for being so open to trying something new. That's probably the last time I'll be more tech-savvy than one of our students. This has been the SMWay Podcast. We'll see you next time.